Good morning. You know, when Orlando leads singing, you pay attention, don't you? Sounds great, by the way. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. I want to say before I get started publicly, what a blessing this past weekend has been here at Bay Area. Uh, all of you who had anything to do with the cantata, I know Dave kind of made it all happen, but all of you who had anything to do with that, what a blessing. Uh, just a lot of people were reintroduced to Jesus, reminded of Jesus, and um, I was here Friday night, and... The production was great, but what I really appreciated was just the joy that was in the room. Even afterwards with the you know, snacks next door, just, just to watch you interacting with our friends and our family and our neighbors. Um, made me real proud to be a part of this family. So thanks for everybody involved with that. The good singing has spilled over into today, so uh, lots of good things going on already. You probably heard that story of the married couple, and they were in their early 60s, and they were at a yard sale one day, and they bought an old lamp, and they went home, and the wife was cleaning the lamp a little bit, and a genie appeared, and the genie said, I will give each of you one wish, and the wife said, oh, great, I've always dreamed about traveling the world with my dear husband. The genie nodded, and poof, there was two round-the-world trip tickets in her hand, they both turned to the husband, and he looked at the genie, and he looked at his wife, and he said, well, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, isn't it? So I guess my greatest wish would be be married to a woman 30 years younger than me. And the genie and the wife were a little bit disappointed with that, but a wish is a wish. So the genie nodded, and poof, he was 90 years old. Be careful what you ask for this Christmas. Now, sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? We're in a series calling Home for the Holidays. Last week, we talked about the anticipation of Christmas, the anticipation of waiting for God's timing. This week, I'm calling this lesson the truth about Christmas. The truth of Christmas. I just made the statement that sometimes truth hurts, the truth doesn't have to hurt. If it's intentional, if it's mindful, if we're mindful about how we share the truth, it really, it shouldn't hurt at all, right? So how do we tell the truth this holiday season? And for that matter, what's truth have to do with the whole thing? This morning we're going to begin our journey at the very end of Jesus' time here on earth. I'll be in John chapter 18 if you want to be flipping over there. But before we get to the text, let me give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background of what's going on by the time we get to John chapter 18. Jesus has been arrested. And I don't think I've ever started a Christmas sermon with those words before, but that's the context. Jesus has been arrested. He was arrested earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter has already denied knowing Jesus three times. The Roman soldiers have already beaten Jesus and Jesus is brought before a guy by the name of Pilate. Jesus is standing before Pilate, bound, bleeding, physically broken. He was arrested earlier in the evening, but a lot of bad things have already happened between the arrest and the time of his standing before Pilate. It's almost dawn. If you can imagine the scene with me, you can imagine 
Pilate not being too uh, uh, excited about being roused early in the morning to deal with a Jewish problem. Pilate is a career politician. He has been tasked with keeping the Jews in their place, keeping peace in the land. Pilate knows this guy Jesus, at least he's heard of him. He doesn't know him, but he's heard about him. In fact, his wife had a dream about him. And his wife warned him, don't have anything to do with this man Jesus. But of course, Pilate's not going to listen to the dreams of a woman. So we pick up John's narrative in verse 29. So Pilate came out to them, the Jews, and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate asked, What's this guy done? And they basically say, Trust us, he's done something. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Pilate doesn't really want to help the Jews. I mean, make no mistake, he didn't want to help Jesus either. The only person he really wants to help is himself. This is like politics at its finest. But Pilate knows that these Jews, these locals, can't do the thing that they really want to do. They can arrest Jesus, but they can't sentence him to death. They don't have that authority. That's going to take Rome to, to do that. And specifically, it's going, to take a, it's going to take Pilate. He's the only one that can sanction an execution. Pilate is the highest-ranking Roman official in the region. His post, Judea, is not a great post. It's not a cushy job. Uh, the, the people there, the Jews, never really want to admit that they were under Roman law, which, of course, they very much were. But there was always whispers, there was always rumors of some kind of a revolt that the Jews were going to rise up and, and they were going to overthrow Rome. That was always sort of the undercurrent. There were always problems with the Jews. And Pilate is there because he knows how to handle problems. He's a hard guy. Uh, history, as well as other scripture, tells us that Pilate ruled with a heavy hand. He was dishonest. He was greedy. He was selfish. He was pretty ruthless. He had a reputation of someone who didn't have much time or patience for the Jews and their issues. And now here is this guy Jesus standing in front of him. He looks at the crowd and he knows what they're going to say. Verse 31. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. And then John adds, this happened so that the words of Jesus, that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Pilate knows that they need him. So he starts to warm to the occasion a little bit. He starts to flex his muscles just a bit. He retreats back into the palace. And there he has this amazing conversation with Jesus. We're going to get to the birth of Jesus, but you need to hear the conversation between Pilate and Jesus. Verse uh, 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Pilate's a little bit aggravated with Jesus' response. He wants to be sure that Jesus knows who's in charge of the situation here. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priest who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Now, I want to remind you, at any time during this ordeal, 
Jesus could have said, nothing, I haven't done anything. I haven't done a thing, I'm completely innocent. He could have said that at any time. At any point in this whole thing, he could have defended himself. At any point, he could have freed himself. But he doesn't do that. He does, however, start to let Pilate know who really is in charge in this conversation, this situation. Verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Which gets Pilate's attention. Wait, what? Your kingdom is not of this world. It's out of this world. Your kingdom is from another place. And of course, Jesus is telling Pilate, there is something so much deeper, so much more significant going on here than you realize. Pilate, you have no idea what you're in the middle of right now. But, of course, Pilate's still convinced that he's the one in control. You are a king then, said Pilate. Okay, you are a king. You have a kingdom somewhere that's out of this world. But you are a king. And with the next breath, Jesus tells us the reason why he showed up in a barn in Bethlehem, born to a virgin. He tells us why he left heaven, why he came to earth, he tells Pilate and he tells us why he was born. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus says the reason for the manger... The reason for Mary and Joseph, the reason for the shepherds, the reason for the wise men, the reason for the star, the reason for the angels rejoicing in heaven, the reason I left heaven, the reason I came, the reason I was born is to testify the truth. Do not miss, do not ignore what Jesus himself says about his birth. The reason that he came into the world, a baby boy, lying in a manger, no room at the inn, escaping the wrath of Herod, son of a carpenter, all for the sake of truth. If we are going to focus on Jesus during Christmas time, and again, I'm a big fan of focusing on Jesus at any time, but if we're going to focus on Jesus during Christmas time, we have got to focus on truth during this time as well. Not just truth, but the truth. Not just some truth, but Absolute truth, the only truth. Because that little baby that was born in the barn, he was going to grow up one day and he's become a full-grown man. And one day he was going to say to his followers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today there are a lot of people who are not willing to accept the statement that Jesus made right there. My guess is that we all have family, friends, co-workers, people that we care about, people that we love, who wouldn't necessarily agree with every word that Jesus spoke right there. Now, they might respect Jesus. They might even tell you they love Jesus. But we all have friends and loved ones and families and co-workers who would say, but there's more than just one way 
There's not just one way. And there's not just one truth. I mean, we're a little more advanced than that, right? We're a little more sophisticated than that. There's not just one truth. Because the reality of our world is, when it comes to truth, one side says, here's truth. And the other side says, well, that's your truth. And quite frankly, your truth offends me. I mean, everybody has their own truth. And if I say there is one truth, I'm going to offend someone. And someone's going to tell me, your truth is invalid because I'm offended by your truth. We live in a culture where people don't believe in absolute truth. We live in a culture where people don't want to believe the absolute truth about the sanctity of life. And they don't want to believe the truth about how we treat people who don't look like us or act like us or think like us. And they don't want to believe the truth about sin. And they don't want to believe the truth that there is just one way to heaven. In fact, they don't want to believe the truth about heaven. They certainly don't want to believe the truth about hell. And I don't know how you're processing all of this. I don't know where you stand on any of this, but, but let me make this statement. Truth is truth whether you believe it or not. It's truth. In fact, truth is truth whether it offends you or not. And that's where a lot of people like to stop. That's where I'll hang my hat. I don't care if it offends you. It's truth. There is absolute truth in this world. His name is Jesus. And if you back up to the story that we're looking at in John chapter 18, Jesus before Pilate, Pilate's not having any of this. So Pilate asks a question. And it's the same question that philosophers and theologians and historians have been asking for decades. What is truth? What is truth? And I don't know if Pilate asked that question sincerely. I kind of feel like he asked it sarcastically, but I don't know. I do know at this point the conversation's over, though. Jesus is convicted. He's sent to the cross. Pilate goes down in history as the man who sentenced the Son of God to death. But make no mistake, the question that Pilate asks, it's a good question. It's a very important question. What is truth? And maybe that question's never bothered you. Maybe your faith is so rock solid that uh, you, know, you don't have any doubts. You don't have any concerns. But my guess is that most of us on our faith journey, we've got some doubts every now and then. And there's some hesitancy sometimes. For a lot of people, especially this time of year, that question becomes crucial. Especially this time of year. People ask, are you really telling a story about a teenage girl who's a virgin, and yet she becomes pregnant through the Holy Spirit, and the child that she is carrying is the Son of God, and that baby is going to be born in a barn, and shepherds are going to be told to go worship that child, and there's going to be stars involved, and the angels are going to sing praises to that child. Wise men are going to visit that child. Is that the story you guys are sticking with? Is that the story you got? And by the way, for the record, that's exactly the story I'm sticking with. 
that is my story. But the reality is, it's a pretty amazing story. It's a miraculous story, to be sure. You know, we'll throw in some reindeer then, you know. If you're going to go there, just, you know, man, who can believe something like that? It's amazing. Most of us, this Christmas holiday, we're going to be around people, some that we love very dearly, who aren't going to believe a story like that. So how can we testify to truth this holiday season? Because let me tell you, there's no other time of the year when people are willing to talk about Jesus than the month of December. This is the month where everybody's kind of expecting people to talk about Jesus. So how can we be truth bringers in the next few weeks? Some of us are going to be interacting with people around the holidays that are doing really well. And their life is just going great. We're going to interact with some people who are really just kind of hanging on by a thread. How can we be truth bringers to the people that we have opportunity to interact with? And this time of year, we spend so much time preparing for dinners and parties, get-togethers, meals, gift wrapping, tree trimming. No matter how hard you work, you're never quite ready for Christmas Day, right? What if this week, this Christmas, these next two weeks, we spent a little bit less time focusing on an event and more time focusing on people. What if we spent a little bit less time focusing on the Christmas menu, and a little bit more about the conversation around the Christmas table? Remember, Jesus summed up the reason he came to this earth in, in one sentence. I came to testify the truth. What if we were truth bringers this Christmas holiday? We're going to be around some people who are probably close to us and far from God, what if we could share truth with those people? And you're probably thinking right now, easier said than done. And you know what? You're right. It is. It is easier said than done. But let me share with you just a couple practical thoughts about maybe some strategies how we can introduce people to Jesus in the next couple weeks. And again, it's December. It's okay to talk about Jesus. Uh, in December. But how can we do that in ways that we open doors and, and not close them? A couple of just quick, I hope, practical thoughts. One is, being truthful does not mean being arrogant. Nobody, and I mean nobody, likes to be beat over the head with any kind of truth. You know, we love to win an argument, don't we? We love to be able to prove that, that we're right and somebody else is wrong. And if you don't believe that's true, just go look at any political post on social media. I don't care what issue it is. If it's a political post, it's somebody saying, I'm right and you're wrong. It's somebody saying, I'm smart and you're not. Whatever the issue is, it ends with, wake up, people. <laughs> There's got to be a better way, doesn't there? The Bible says there is. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is one of my favorite books. The third chapter is one of my favorite chapters in that book. There's a passage in there. It's not the Great Commission, but it's a good commission. In fact, I've got that written beside uh, Colossians 3.12 in my Bible, the Good Commission, because 
It's a command. Paul says this, Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Why don't we focus more on that verse? What would our lives, what would our families, what would our marriages, what would our church look like if we just focused on that commission? He goes on, you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Those are such grace-filled words. People need to hear truth this season. But we need to do it clothed in humility and kindness, tender-hearted mercy and patience. Around your Christmas table this year, there very well might be people who are lonely, who are hurting, maybe people whose lifestyle you don't necessarily agree with. You know what will change their hearts quicker than anything? Not an argument, not a Facebook rant, not a debate. People are drawn to kindness. People are drawn to gentleness, to humility, and patience. We, as followers of Jesus, we are to clothe ourselves. We're to be identified as people who are kind and gentle and patient. Paul is going to tell us exactly why in the book of Romans. This is really great. Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? Kindness is a better path to truth. The power of kindness cannot be understated. Here's a second way to bring truth this Christmas. Just tell people how Jesus coming into this world changed your life. You know, a couple years ago when we went through Every Believer a Witness, we talked a lot about this. Just, just share how Jesus has changed your life. How the fact that that baby born in a manger has made a difference in your family. In my dining room right now, if you were sitting at my dining room table, a lot of you have, i got several things hanging on the wall, Martha and I do. One of them is a potato sack, a framed potato sack that says, Guys Prize Potatoes. Indiana, Pennsylvania, Guy Stutzman. Guy Stutzman was my grandfather. He started our potato farm you know, a long time ago. I've got a potato sack framed on my wall. It's a conversation piece. I've also got a picture of the downtown of my hometown on my wall. During a snowstorm, it's a conversation starter. Also, if you're sitting at my table this month, and some of you have and some of you will, there's a nativity scene in the corner. There's Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. There's a donkey. There's a camel. Kirkland's finest. (laughs) Bought at a yard sale. But that's a conversation starter too. And when I'm sitting around my table this Christmas, I want to talk about that too. That really happened. 
He really came. He was born in Bethlehem. You know, that's the cantata. Dealt with that last night, the story of Jesus. What a beautiful story. What a life-changing, eternity-altering story. Let's find ways and reasons to talk about that this year. Now, Jesus said people will know that we belong to him by our love. We've all heard this before, but it is so true. The best sermon anyone will hear is your life. I'm a preacher, and I'm telling you, the best sermon anyone will ever hear is your life. Nobody's going to see Jesus until they see Jesus in someone they respect. And a changed life is the best argument, the best testimony for Jesus Christ. Jesus came to testify the truth. I want to be like Jesus. And if I'm going to be like Jesus, then I'm going to have to testify the truth as well. But there's got to be a balance between that truth and grace. You can't miss the love part. We want to be truth tellers. We want to be truth sharers. In my life, I've known several people who were really great truth tellers, but they were pretty harsh. <laughs> they were a little bit grumpy. They were a little bit judgmental. You can't miss the love. I shared this verse last week as John introduces Jesus back into his story in John chapter 1, but let me share it again this week. The Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came into this world from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. A healthy dose of truth has got to be accompanied with a healthy dose of grace. And Jesus understood that. John Ortborg has this quote. I love it. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is just plain mean. I've got that written in my Bible too. <laughs> it's written right beside Ephesians 4.15. We'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is just plain mean. We all enjoy giving and receiving gifts during the holiday season. The greatest gift we can share is Jesus. The love of Jesus. The grace of Jesus. The truth. The absolute truth of Jesus. He told a story once about a guy who planted a fig tree. The fig tree didn't bear any figs. Good's a fig tree without figs, right? So he told the gardener, cut it down. It's no good to me. Just, just cut that tree down. And the gardener said, not yet. The gardener said, let me work on that tree. Let me dig around it. Let me water it. Let me fertilize it. Don't cut it down just yet. And of course, in the story, Jesus represents, the gardener represents Jesus. And the gardener is still at work. And this year around your Christmas table, there's probably going to be all kinds of fig trees sitting around your table. There's going to be some fig trees who really need some grace. They don't deserve it, 
but neither do I. There's probably going to be some fig trees around your table this Christmas who really need to hear the truth of Jesus. And you tried sharing that truth before, and it didn't go so well. And these are people that are close to you, might be far from God. These are people that you love. And you're wondering, how do I broach that subject again? How do I start that conversation again? Should I start that conversation again? Because I don't want to close a door, I want to open a door. I want you to remember that for the past year, the gardener's been at work. Jesus is still working on hearts. The Holy Spirit is still alive and well. So we wrestle with the uncertainty. Do I give them grace? Do I give them truth? Do I give them time? Is it worth it? And we ask that question because we're thinking with a human heart. Let me share with you God's heart. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end, because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Those people are going to be around our table this Christmas season. God is giving them space and time to change, but they need to hear truth. The gardener's at work. He's working on the soil. He's fertilizing. But they need to hear truth, and that truth has to be given with grace. This morning, let's be truth bringers this Christmas season. Let's make a conscious decision to start that conversation, to have that conversation, to tell people the truth of Jesus. And if we can help you as a church family in any way, pray with you about anything, encourage you in any way, come to the front and let us know, and we'll be happy to do that. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.